Welcome everybody to Going for the Green with Daily Roto. I'm Drew Dinkmeyer alongside Colin Drew. Uh, we're here to talk about the Dell Technologies Championship as the FedEx Tour playoffs rage on. Uh, last week, Bryson DeChambeau put himself in better position with a big win last week. Um, we wanted to talk about a couple things about this podcast in, in terms of housekeeping before we get into the Dell Technologies Championship. Uh, first and foremost, this is probably going to be our last episode for a little bit. Um, we're transitioning a lot of our content into you know, NFL season, and resources are a little bit tighter with myself and Colin and Mike uh, kind of trying to keep NFL in check. So I don't think we'll be able to do a podcast for the last two events uh, of the season, and then we'll take off through the swing season and, and pick it back up in, in January. Um, for those of us who, for those of you who have been with us throughout the course of the golf season, uh, thank you so much. It's been awesome. Um, Colin, what else do you want to hit up in terms of daily roto housekeeping for the people? Yeah, so and we still have the DFS Dish uh, podcast that we rolled out that's kind of talking about all things DFS. So there will definitely be times where we're talking a little bit of fantasy golf on that podcast as far as small segments. And then the premium golf product is going to continue to roll through the swing season. So we're still going to have projections, betting tools, probabilities, ownership projections, the, the weekly pro tip that I write. So we're definitely not going away from a golf coverage perspective. I still plan on playing year-round, basically. You get a few weeks off in December, and that's about it. Maybe some time off for the Ryder Cup, or maybe they'll have contests. So um, other than that, yeah, I think, you know, just really looking forward to NFL starting next week. We've got the premium package live. A lot of free content up right now as well. So I wrote an article on stacking um and then i know mike's got a piece up there in wide receiver efficiency ricky wrote a piece on offseason moves a lot of free content and premium content um really excited about a bunch of the different things we're doing for nfl uh the the dollars giveaway for subscribers where we're basically putting 25k on the line in dfs contest for our nfl subscribers and elite subscribers is going to be a really fun promotion so definitely check us out if you do want to save 10 percent on the nfl package you can use the promo fntsy yeah, that stacking article that you wrote, Colin, I, I actually am regretting a little bit that it's free, that it's not behind the paywall. I think it's such a valuable resource in preparation for the upcoming season in terms of thinking about how you should be building teams in GPP. So make sure to check that out over at dailyroto.com. Um, let's let's recap the Northern Trust before we get into the Dell Technologies Championship. Uh, Bryson, who's been kind of a, a difficult guy to forecast for, for us during the course of this year and for the data golf guys simply because the the performances have been a little Bubba Watson esque when when he's in comp when he's in contention he seems to be kind of uh, you know closing or or right up near the top five not like lingering um, and then he has all these like random miscuts and last year the performance was so volatile uh, that his long term form stuff isn't isn't great so I know he's a guy that we're usually a little bit lighter on than the industry so I feel like it's never a good week for for us <laughs> when Bryson's uh, at the top of the leaderboard. I know a bunch of subscribers had sweats going into Sunday, and I know you did as well, that, that didn't exactly turn out the way that we would have hoped, uh, led by Keegan Bradley going full Keegan. Yeah, it was a bit of a frustrating week in that regard. Um, was in really good position late on Saturday, and um, DJ and Brooks kind of shooting those poor Saturday rounds relative to the field was uh, disappointing and surprising just because they're the guys you kind of expect to pull through on. Um, obviously get the huge day out of Keegan on Saturday making that charge and you don't expect him to necessarily win the tournament but you don't necessarily expect him to do what he did on on Sunday either so 
I don't know. I'm still on the right side of Keegan, I guess. He had that big Sunday charge the week that I won at the RBC Canadian Open, so I can't hate on him too much. <laughs> I guess in this, the variance spectrum, I still came out ahead, but it definitely definitely hurts, uh, and definitely it was a rough Sunday and ended up with a, yeah, like lost, I don't know, 30% or something like that. So Yeah, I, I took off from the week uh, from, from playing golf, uh, at least DFS golf, but I had a rough Sunday as well because I actually got out on the golf course. And for those of you uh, to, to kind of set the stage on this story, which some of you, if you were in our Slack chat, have gotten the details on, but I play golf like a few times a year maximum. So I have clubs, but they're very old. But when I go, I just rent clubs. And so I went with a couple friends out to like a local course, really short course, like for hackers, basically. And like I'm like a low hundreds type golfer when I go out there. So we're on the third hole. It starts raining like Florida rain where it's like sideways and it's going heavy, but people are like kind of waiting it out. And I'm just like waiting in the fairway basically because it's not raining that hard. And the group in front of us, had kind of stopped and it was at a par five. I had hit a good drive. So I'm sitting there with a three wood and my, you know, I've been big into Pilates the last year and a half or so. So my wife the night before was telling me you really should work on practicing engaging your abs while you swing or before you swing. So you have awareness. And so you use more of your core that you've kind of built up. So I try to take a practice swing because I like I don't try to actually put this into into my play since I'm like so scared of having bad swing thoughts. So I take a practice swing and I try to get really aggressive with it. And the club as I'm swinging just flies out of my hand because wet grip. It's been raining a little bit. Club just flies out of my hand. And as it's going in the air, I look in the direction it's going there. There are three options of where this club is landing. It's either landing in like a little river bank area it's either landing on someone's house because beyond the little like it's not a river but beyond the little waterway is a person's home or it's landing like on in their backyard it's like i've got no good options here so it lands on in the in this person's backyard i was like oh my god i walk over to see if i can get through this waterway and it's like four or five feet deep i don't know if there's alligators in there or not but I was like, you know what? This is not worth it. I'm not like stripping down Henrik Stenson style and walking across this waterway. So I end up, you know, this rented set, I, I bring it back to the club, to the, the pro shop after the round. And I'm like, uh, so listen, here's the deal. I guess you could technically say I lost the three wood, but I know exactly where it is. And I tell the guy like, here's where it is. I don't have it though, because it's across this waterway. I don't know if you guys can get across there or if I got to pay for this or what the deal is, but here's my information. Let me know. <laughs> so I have not heard back from the golf course yet. So I'm hoping that someone was able to find this three wood or get the three wood back or the neighbor returned it. Um, but it was, it was by far the, uh, the most embarrassing moment I've had on a golf course. And I can only imagine what the group behind us that we, they were like waiting at the tee box to see this club flying like 60 <laughs> yards in the air, <laughs> what their stories that they're telling people. Uh, so it was a tough Sunday for me as well, Colin. Well, there's tour sauce and then there's, there's dink sauce, which, you know, I guess always better to have tour sauce than dink sauce. Yeah, it was a, it was, a, it was a struggle for me. Let's, uh, let's move it over to the, the Dell Technologies Championship, played at TPC Boston, Par 71, 7,300 yards, uh, 10th on tour and par just a distance. So a very long course, 35th in fairway width, so really wide fairways. Winning scores usually hover in the mid-teens. Um, and this is a smaller field, you know, 98-man field, cut to t T70 and ties. 
that course description kind of right away makes me think of guys who are who are long off the tee. And if you look at some of the traditional course history, the most recent winners, JT, Rory, Tiger, uh, Stenson, not as long as, as those other guys. And then you get back down towards the further end where you get like Webb and Hoffman and Kirk and it looks a little bit more like a mixed bag. But I know Rory's won twice here. Do you view this as a course fit that should emphasize driving distance, Colin? Uh, I mean, I guess like anecdotally, it feels like one a tiny bit. But if you look at the data golf numbers as far as uh, deviation, variation in scores based on the strokes gain stuff, and it doesn't really pop as off the tee specifically. And I think part of the reason is you look at the, the pricing and, you know, you look at the top 20 or so guys in the field, and there's not a single guy that you're you're looking at and thinking that they don't have the length to compete here. So um, I don't think it's a, a bomber's course necessarily. Um I do think the, the winners have shown that skill set, but they've also just been really strong overall players. And um, I don't think you're, you know, necessarily rushing out to play. Um, I'm trying to think of like a good example, like Bubba Watson. I don't think you're necessarily rushing out to, to jam him in lineups. Um, it feels like it's going to kind of play, I don't know, almost like the players championship as far as the course setup where the guys who are long and accurate and good with their irons are going to be fine as well. Um, so Probably not going too heavy on bombers. I guess I would say though, with the the no cut event, um, most of the field's going to make it through to the weekend at at least 75% or so, and so that's always helpful for DraftKings scoring with the value players. Is just if they're able to take advantage of some of the par fives and generate eagles, because there's going to be a high percentage of the lineups that do end up getting six of six golfers through the cut. Um, so if you look at our optimal lineups as far as generating odds to get six to six we've got about a 47 percent chance of getting our best lineup through the cut so definitely the type of week where if you don't get six to six through and you're playing a single team then you know don't check <laughs> yeah it's one of those weeks that um if you're if you won't aren't following along closely through the golf season like you check in on friday and you're like oh my god i have all these six to six teams coming across through this is great and then you, you check over at cut sweats and you know it's like 50% of, of the teams are getting six to six through. You're not generating a ton of edge. So it's a, it's a week that uh, I would say you have a better chance at four days of sweats as opposed to the, the, the occasional two-day sweat weeks uh, that you have. But it's a week that also the pricing, um, because you have that higher made cut probability, it allows you to take some chances certainly on the lower end of the pricing scale. And, and because the players, you know, relative to, you know, normal players that we're dealing with um, at the really low end of the pricing scale, are better because they've gotten to this point in in the uh, in the FedEx playoffs. You've got a little bit more ability to build kind of those those high end builds through a Dustin Johnson, somebody who you know has the highest price salary at eleven thousand six hundred on DraftKings. Um, do you see in terms of the the overall pricing look? When I first looked, it looked like you know there's definitely ways to build um, kind of stars and scrubs or, or high priced and low priced. But it also looked like it had kind of majors-esque pricing where there's some really, really good players in the nines that allow you to build kind of uber-balanced teams and then, you know, up top like a couple 9K guys and then kind of move into the lower range. Did you have a preference in terms of your, your first looks on, on builds? Uh, no, I mean, I, I think preference is always to find a way to fit in DJ if you can. Um, and it seems like it's going to be doable this week without generating too much risk of losing the the six of six lineups um 
So I think that, I guess, is my first preference. And I do feel like you can take on some of the, the DK and FanDuel scoring elements just because you're more likely to, to get all of the guys through to the weekend. Um, I think our top 20 optimal is a bit more balanced. So I think, yeah, there's there's a lot of different ways you can go. It is major-esque as far as the ability to build balance through the the 9 and 8K range. Um, I'm not sure it's quite as soft in the 7K range as maybe yeah. we see at some majors. Like, even in the 8K range, a lot of times we were feeling like maybe they're free squares at majors or in the 7.5K, and now you're looking at guys like Billy Horschel or, like, you know, Ben Ahn or, or Ryan Palmer as a cheap guy who might be the more popular player. So that... If it's Ryan Palmer Chalk Week, that doesn't feel like <laughs> Definitely not. That feels like one of those Texas swing events where he eventually finds the water with like a three-stroke comfort on the cut line that immediately becomes a late a late round sweat on Friday. Uh, let's look at that top pricing range, 10K and above. You've got Dustin Johnson at 11.6, Justin Thomas uh, at 11.4, Brooks Kepka at 11,000, Rory at 10.6, Jason Day 10.4, Jordan Spieth at 10. The first thing that kind of stood out to me here is it seems like for the first time in a long time, Rory is not priced like, not quite priced like the others, which I, I don't think that means Rory's like a screaming buy or anything. It just means it seems like he's at a more playable uh, price tag than he's been for me in, in a few months. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, down in the $10,000 range does make a bit of a difference. Uh, it. One of the things I, I think long term, like DJ definitely stands out over JT and Brooks. If you kind of zoom in a little bit more on like the rounds since the Masters, I, I sent out a tweet with uh, the strokes gain trends for three different golfers one's DJ, one's JT, and one's Brooks. And uh, I don't think a lot of people are able to easily tell the difference of who is who just looking at the, the results and the strokes gain data that lies a bit underneath. So um, I don't know. It'll be interesting. They're they're kind of tough to fit in, like all three of them. Um, so I feel like DJ is the easier one to, to feel comfortable building around. I'm just curious at the end of the week where it's going to shake out from an ownership perspective. Um, so, yeah, gun to head if the ownership is going to be the same. It's DJ for me. But one of these guys ought to come in pretty low owned just because of where the, the prices is. And it's not often you get three guys up above 11 K. Yeah. My guess would be that JT might get a little bit snipped here because I think people are going to view DJ as, as solid over JT. And then the price gap from DJ to Brooks as maybe the next decision point, because Brooks has been playing so well, especially in the high end events. I know our projections have DJ as a very, very clear, and strong play of the group there in the 10k range does anybody stand out to you in particular or is this a range that because the 9k seems so strong it might be one that uh you end up a little bit lighter weight on overall uh maybe a maybe a little, little bit lighter overall um as far as quality of golfers none of them stood out i think they're um you know maybe i would have day and rory flipped a little bit as far as the pricing but none of them like left off the page as being an incredible value. Um, I would say Spieth's ownership seems like it'll be low right now and maybe low enough that I'm interested in tournaments for the first time in a while. Um, I haven't been playing Spieth through this stretch, but if, if it is going to be like a 10% ownership or even lower than that, um, I think at the PGA Championship he might have been 5%, uh, then that would be something that I would be interested in in tournaments. Um, 
at the end of the day, though, I think the, like, I don't know how many teams I'm going to build this week. Um, probably a decent amount. So um, DJ would be the guy if I was only building one team and I had to play a guy from this range. But I think Spieth would be an interesting candidate to get above weight on in tournaments. Yeah, it definitely seems like, you know, the the public has soured on Spieth this year through the ups and downs and the struggles. But he he's, he's had that kind of high-end form um, that when he kind of gets into contention, he 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 ends up with really high finishes. It seems like he's kind of been a little bit boomer bust uh, on the whole this year. Moving into the 9K range, you've got Tiger Woods at the top at 9,700, followed by Adam Scott at 9,400, which is just mind-boggling to me. Obviously, Adam Scott's had a great recovery here in the in the back half of the season, but I mean, at, <laughs> it felt like early in the season Adam Scott was routinely in the low sevens, and it was a struggle to get people to play him at all. And here he is priced in the mid nines in between Tiger Woods and Justin Rose. It's just shocking uh, to me when it when it kind of jumps off the page. Below Rose at, at 9,300, John Rahm's at 9,100, and then our guy Patrick Cantlay at 9,000, who seems to like seemingly every week just is a top 20 machine, kind of going uh, the route of the the Paul Casey, the Matt Kuchar, the Jim Furyk's type of guy who's just super consistent, makes a lot of cuts and and grabs a lot of paychecks. In this range, uh, who are the plays that stand out, and it, does this look like the range of all the salaries that you think you would have um, among the most ownership overall? In if you were, you know, MMEing or, or three maxing, it's, it's definitely one of the most interesting ranges to talk about. You mentioned Adam Scott; uh, he gained almost nine strokes with his putter last <laughs> week. I know. I know there was a lot of chatter, even like the couple weeks before that, about the ch- the cheater putter. And um, man, if, if he's listening, he doesn't care because <laughs> nine strokes on the field. And yeah, I mean, obviously making a big impact. But even if even if you said he was going to become the best putter in the world, like you're not expecting that level of performance. So that was really interesting. Uh, Tiger, I think, is also a really interesting case because people seem a little bipolar on Tiger in the way that they're handling him. It's like, um, you know, he he did well at the Open Championships. Everyone's kind of like all, you know, Tiger's back and they're ready to jam him at the WGC event. And then he has his, you know, worst finish in a long time at that event, which he had dominated before. So people got real sour on him. Then he had his performance at the PGA Championship, so everyone's buying back into Tiger. And then a poor performance last week, and particularly poor with the putter lost about five strokes to the field putting, uh, but actually did really well from tee to green, gained six and a half strokes. So I don't know. It'll be interesting. I feel like people are going to maybe they'll linger on Tiger a tiny bit just because he at least didn't miss the cut. But I feel like they've been all over the place on Tiger, and then the, the Scott putting stuff is pretty crazy. I think it's all kind of relative to expectations, right? Like the the idea of Tiger being back because the bar that he set was so absurd that the idea of him being back is is heavily influenced by by the idea of winning, and not necessarily the the idea of high end contention, which quickly changed from like when he first came back early in the year. It was just like I just hope we see Tiger in contention again, and then once he did that a few times, it was like oh, okay, now he's got to win. And if he's not winning, then it's not really him back. And so I think the public uh, perception has, has kind of floated around kind of relative to really high expectations. Um, the guy that just stands out to me from a pricing standpoint as crazy is Justin Rose at 9,300, simply because, I mean, as of a few weeks ago, Data Golf had moved Justin Rose all the way up to like number two in the world. He has had one of the most consistent years all year long, but then had you know the, the withdrawal. Um, 
what what's the feel on Justin Rose? I noticed in early ownership projections, it looked like he was going to be kind of the, the low man on the totem pole. Obviously, these are very early on Tuesday, but of this group. And that, that really surprised me because the price kind of stood out to me. Yeah, I mean, the price did stand out. Um, he had that withdrawal, and then his finish at the PGA Championship was solid, finished inside the top 20. But I think that was the tournament people were kind of concerned about him leading in. And then I think the miscut last week, there might be some people who are still kind of on the um, of the thought process, I guess, that he's injured. It is worth noting that most of the strokes he lost last week were with the putter. So obviously played just two rounds but lost six strokes putting in those two rounds and did gain strokes to the green so if he's injured the ball striking wasn't terrible um it wasn't elite by any means but it definitely wasn't terrible and i think there's enough um enough kind of in that data set to have me not overly concerned um about the injury definitely think he's underpriced i could see him being the type of guy that in higher buy-ins people are just used to playing and so maybe i'm projecting the ownership low and maybe it will be a bit lower in mme but it wouldn't surprise me at all if it comes up closer to 20 percent in some of the higher stakes. yeah stuff. when you were describing that rose situation to me it immediately reminded me of henrik stenson which has not really been going that well even though you know the t to green game has still been strong ever since we had those concerns about like the elbow or wrist or whatever it was around the open championship he the high-end finishes have not been there but it's almost entirely been due to the putter so it had it gave me a little bit of uh, a little bit of bad feedback immediately and flashbacks to the struggles of playing stenson over the last month well hope, hopefully if i do play rose hopefully it goes better <laughs> than that um i don't know it, it's kind of crazy i mean we really only see him in these elite field events so the the floor that he had 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 been so high until that miscut especially for the quality of events that he was playing. Um, and then you have Rom and Cantley, like you mentioned. Cantley definitely going the kind of steady route, like Paul Casey when, when Paul Casey was going, going steady. Um, and then Rom is definitely the, the volatile guy, or has been volatile with his results. And um, not, not sure if at, his price is coming down. I'm not sure we're going to get a big ownership discount on him. Um, not sure what I'm going to do with them. Definitely like Rose, Rom, Cantlay, Woods the most from this range. I don't think I'm prepared to pay up for Adam Scott on DraftKings. Hopefully uh, not having to anti-sweat a you know, 9 or 10 plus strokes gain putting performance from Adam Scott this week. Into the 8,000s we go with Hideki Matsuyama at the top, uh, followed by Tony Finau, Bryson DeChambeau, Henrik Stenson, Tommy Fleetwood, Patrick Reed, Webb Simpson, Phil Mickelson, Billy Horschel, and Mark Leishman. Um, one of the things that stood out to me was kind of how quickly Phil's price tag rebounded. I know he was in the low sevens last week and, um, and put together, you know, a strong start to the week. Um, now that he's back in, in the low eights, it feels like he's priced a little bit more appropriately. He doesn't kind of differentiate, differentiate himself from the field, but, the, but outside of that, the price that really stood out to me was Tommy Fleetwood, which, you know, mid eights, it feels, it feels like this is the, this is the price tag we've been waiting for, you know, for data golf and, and daily Roto subscribers for, for all season long, because it seems like everybody's been willing to play Fleetwood at really elevated price tags. And it seems like this is finally a price tag that looks like it's a bit discounted to his talent level. Are you in on Tommy Fleetwood this week? Yeah, it look, definitely checks the box as a good tournament play. Um, I, I'm not, I haven't built like a, a single lineup yet. So don't, 
I don't know if I would go there in like a single lineup bill, but definitely seems like a guy I'd have exposure to. The leverage score he has is is pretty strong. Um, it's kind of right there with Stenson. View them very comparably, and it, it would be nice to be able to diversify a little bit. We've been like jamming Stenson <laughs> for the past however many months and not playing Fleetwood very much, and so yeah, I mean we can finally play Fleetwood without feeling bad about it. Richard will be happy. Um, the the guy I wanted to talk a little bit about is obviously Bryson. I uh, had some exposure to him at his lower price last week. Um, price has come up. Ownership should be there, but I don't think it's going to be crazy. People don't typically back people off of a win. It's something I've noticed even with like – I've noticed it most with Molinari, but even Brooks like off of his wins wasn't really getting that high ownership at the price increase. And so – I'm not sure Bryson's ownership is going to be crazy. If you were to flip the toggle on the fantasy projections just to recent form, then Bryson would actually be sixth in the field as far as the fantasy point projections. And um, I think there is some argument to, I know you can't like pick and choose when to throw out old data and when not to, but I feel like with a younger guy, it's a little bit easier to, especially a guy with, who approaches the game like Bryson, it's a little bit easier to, to think about throwing some of that data out. So I don't know. Are, are you kind of where do you sit on the fence with Bryson as it comes to like the Ryder Cup debate? I think there's a lot of questions as far as if they're going to go with, you know, Finau, Bryson, or some like yeah. For the I, last I mean, I think I think Kucher has played himself out of that conversation. I think the only reason that he would be considered would be, um, you know, mor- morale Locker purposes, him. environment, which you know that's that unquantifiable stuff that I can't really speak to. Um, but I think. You know, I think Bryson's kind of put himself, you know, for me, below that level of Cantley and Finau, because I think those guys have just been more consistent all year long. But I think he's shown an upside that perhaps those guys haven't tapped into just yet. Um, it's a question which I know you did, like, you know, hole-by-hole hole stroke play analysis uh, for one of your 15 uh, club submissions for their like hackathon or whatever, but it's, it's an interesting concept to me of like the, the variants associated with, or what types of skill sets you want to build in the Ryder cup. Cause of the unique format. Um, but Bryson like checks the boxes in most areas. His tee to green game's great. And he's shown a putter that I think has been a little bit better than Finau and, and Cantley over, over the year. I, I think you can't go wrong with any, you know, any of those three. I think once you get beyond that into the Kuchers, the Kisners, those types where it seems a little bit more morale uh, centric in uh, over recent results, I'd, I'd rather uh, roll with the younger guys. Yeah. I mean, I definitely don't want Kisner on the team. I, I think you go with Cooch if you want in the locker room stuff, but um, yeah, I would, I had slight preference for Finau and Cantley, but definitely can understand Bryson being um, more of a clear picture uh, with the two victories this year. I think in general, um, individual match play, I'm not sure quite as much, but in like the group match play, you definitely want the ability to generate birdies because that's how you're winning the holes. Chances are two guys aren't going to make a bogey on the same hole, so you definitely need the, the birdie-making upside. And it seems like those younger guys would, would have that, um, whereas Kuchar maybe a little bit more steady, maybe better for like the singles. Um, and the, yeah, I haven't thought a lot about it as far as like none, none of the work I did was on ultimate yeah. shot. Um, Phil, I think his price came up. His his, his Twitter game is on point. Sai <laughs> tweeted out a selfie with Obama and uh, Bush and Clinton, and yeah, Phil is Phil's making big moves in the social media space these days. He is pumping up that pay per view match with Tiger. He is going to be all over Twitter, 
in the upcoming months to promote this thing, <laughs> get as many pay-per-view buys as he possibly can, um, you know, get those dollars in his pocket so he can build, you know, the, the future prize pools as well for this. Cause I'm sure they'll try to try to run it back. Um, yeah, I, I think Phil is, is interesting in a format where obviously the, you have a higher percentage of made cut just in general because of the smaller field type. And then it looks like at least from early ownership projections, people would much rather ride this recent heater from Billy Horschel than play like a Phil Mickelson or a Webb Simpson. And, you know, I, I think there's reasonable merit to discuss the differences because Billy Horschel's run so hot and so cold in his career of like being able to try to project that. But I think when you throw ownership on top of it, kind of piling on the recent performance, I think that's an easy, easy fade in GPPs. Yeah. I mean, it, if the ownership stays there, I'd knock it down a bit manually. I just can't, I can't buy it. I can't believe people would actually do that. Um, I know last, last week's finish was, uh, I probably wrote it up in the pro tip that not, not to play Horschel and that he was overowned in a good fade last week because most of his results, they'd been in some of these weak field events and, you know, quick and loans or the Wyndham and the, the Barbasol. And so I think the Barbasol was the only, I think he had finished second there and that was his best finish. And so, wasn't really like all the weak field events. I'm not really willing to give him credit. I'll give him some credit for last week, but the price is too high. The ownership's too high. And like if it stays there, I think it's crazy that you can just go up a little bit to get, you know, Phil. I think Webb Simpson's a better play probably than, than Phil. And then you have Patrick Reed, Tommy Fleetwood there too. So I think that's one of the reasons I don't think it's a bomber's course is even the guys who are kind of shorter, um, like like a, a Reed or a Stenson with a three-wood or whatever, like you're not counting out anybody really. Above 8K, except for maybe Billy Horschel. Can you imagine if Billy Horschel is more owned than Tommy Fleetwood? I know it's $400 difference, but like at a similar price. And if you could just take people, if that happens, and you could just take people and like transplant that thought into their heads two months ago. Like, like, like what they would say if I had told them like two months ago, like, hey, in two months, Billy Horschel and Tommy Fleetwood are going to be somewhat similarly priced and Billy Horschel is going to be like much more owned. Yeah. I mean, I'm just dreading like Horschel in 2014. He had that FedEx run right, yeah. during the FedEx Cup playoffs where he, you know, came in second at this event. Um, it was the Deutsche Bank Championship back then and then won the BMW and Tour Championship back to back. And yeah, it would be pretty... It'd be pretty brutal. It might be a fitting way to end kind of the prime golf season is if something like that happened. But there's yeah, there's no chance in playing. Horse. All right, into the seven Ks usually uh, kind of a, an area to differentiate yourself and an area to, to usually uh, find a name that has kind of dropped in price uh, relative to you know their peers in the eight Ks. And right at the top, the first thing that comes out is, is Paul Casey at seventy nine hundred. And I know Casey's just has not played his best golf in the last, you know, month to two months of the year. This seems like a really soft price tag. It seems like ownership is not going to follow because the recent performance has just been so middling and so frustrating. Where are you at on Paul Casey, who I know has dropped from, you know, data golfs, like he, he was up as high as like three or four in the world. Moving on into the eight, uh, below 8,000 range in the 7,000s where you often, you know, can differentiate yourself and find somebody who's kind of fallen beneath the, their peers in the 8,000s. And the first name at the top of the price range, Paul Casey at 7,900, really stood out to me from a pricing difference. I know the performance has been very, very subpar especially for relatively high expectations for Casey, who I believe data golf as recently as like three or four weeks ago had as, 
you know, borderline top five-ish, top 10 player in the world. He's fallen down to 16th in data golf rankings. Are you going back to the well with Paul Casey again? <laughs> it's tough, man. Yeah, the performance has definitely not been subpar. It's been anything but subpar. Um, a lot of above par performances from Casey. It's It's been a bit of a struggle. Um, I, it's been a consistent struggle too, which is kind of the, the worst thing is we haven't even caught any real upside rounds uh, since, I guess, I guess like the US Open was the last time I can remember. I guess he did well at the Travelers after that, but the last time I can remember playing him and being like mildly satisfied was at the US Open. And so that feels like it's a long time ago. Um, I'm, I'm sure I'll have a little bit of Casey in tournaments. It kind of depends where the ownership lingers. Right now, I think he's kind of a solid leverage play. The, the top end of the 7.8K range is definitely one that I think goes low owned. A lot of times there are pretty attractive names that end up in there, but this week that's not really the case. You have, you know, Casey, who you mentioned his form has been awful. You have Louis in who burned a lot of people with the withdrawal that he had. And I know um, he, he had a okay performance, at least made the cut last week, but uh, not really comfortable with him. And then you have guys like Brant Snedeker, who's been, you know, up and down all year, but had that big win. And then Terrell Haddon, who, Data Golf, I think, has been a little bit higher on in the market, um, and, and he's definitely been a really strong weekend golf play for some of the subscribers. But none of those guys are like guys that I'm feeling great about as a pivot off of Casey. So it kind of feels like um, either playing a little bit of Casey or, or just trying to find the money to go up to the 8K range, which is pretty attractive as we talked about. fourth and a second in this event the last two years for Paul Casey. Um, you look. You talked about Snedeker being up and down this year, and I was just kind of looking over the results over the last, you know, let's say three months, and he has four top tens and two missed cuts <laughs> in that period. So it has been very, very volatile with Brant Snedeker um, as well. You look down the pricing, Bubba Watson, Gary Woodland, two guys that, you know, if we talked in the, in the early going about this being a longer course, I feel like those guys usually draw some attention on longer courses, but it doesn't look that way early on in terms of like ownership levels. It looks like really the, you know, a lot of the ownership uh, in the 7K range is kind of getting sucked up by the 8K range. And then the low uh, 7K ranges, it looks like this mid 7Ks is a little bit of a dead zone where nobody's kind of collecting a bunch of ownership other than Matt Kuchar's usual, like can never get below 7% Matt Kuchar. Um, those guys just from like a long-term perspective don't grade out as similar or as well as their competitors in this range, like Tyrrell Hatton, like Louis Stazen, like Paul Casey. I assume those guys, even at low ownership are probably off the radar for you. Um, yeah, I, I think probably it's interesting to see Woodland's not being talked up because he was pretty popular last, last week. He made the cut finished inside the top 50, not a, not a great performance, but, his strokes gained teeth green was still positive and he just had a poor putting week. So I thought maybe people would stay on him a little bit longer. Um, the early ownership projections are definitely low on the Zach Johnson, Kuchar, Poulter range in general. I think all of those guys are going to come up closer to 10% by the time um, things turn around. I, I don't think it's going to end up a contrarian spot. I don't think any one of them is going to grab more ownership than the others, but it is a nice price range to build through whether you're building balanced or more top heavy plus all of these guys have really strong like long-term dfs performances as far as making the cut 
Um, ZJ, I was looking into him a little bit just because the data golf probability model likes him a, a little bit more than Kucher and Poulter. And obviously he hasn't missed a cut here and he's only missed one cut on the year and hasn't had too many high-end finishes compared to what you would expect for him at you know his kind of career benchmarks. But a lot of times you're just a stroke or two off there. And so you could easily see something like that coming together. Um, yeah, like ZJ, Kucher, Poulter is definitely not Definitely not a sexy range, but it seems like a pretty attractive one to build. Any for. interest in Alex Noren coming off back-to-back missed cuts after a guy who was so steady early in the season? And I know he's he's a guy that has the reputation of being uh, having more success in the European Tour events. But even on on the PGA Tour early in the season, you know he lost in that playoff to Jason Day. Like he was he was consistently flooding the leaderboard early in the season. I know personally because I have a lot of regret for not taking him in our season long draft and instead drafting Sung Kang, who I knew would play every week, but make, you know, 50% of cuts. Um, Norn, it looks like a guy that just the, the field will be off because the recent form has been so bad, but would look like to me, like a, a decent flyer in a smaller field where a higher, higher percentage of the players are going to make the cut. Yeah. I mean, it definitely seems like that that could be the case. Um, some of the concerns I have is just in the strokes gained trend that he's been losing a ton of strokes on approach in consecutive weeks. Uh, you know, almost five strokes an event over the, the last three that he's played as far as measured shot link round or shot like events. And that's definitely not a, not a great situation to, to be in on a course that well, on any course, really, because strokes gained approach is always going to be the most. So I know it, like it's dangerous to kind of look at small sample things like that. I'd probably use that more to cap my ownership yeah. for him. Um, that like maybe without that, I would have like been willing to take 20% of him at 5% ownership. Maybe now I'll just take 10%, but it seems like a guy that I'll want some exposure to. It's also just this range in general. Uh, sometimes it's really hard to, to separate the players and, you know, we talked about that a little bit with ZJ Kucher and Poulter, but then you have um, you have Norin, Charlie Hoffman, RCB, Daniel Berger, and all those guys are kind of project pretty similarly within you know a few fantasy points, and they're all going to carry between three and you know seven percent ownership. And um, just as a range in MME, uh, I don't have a clear ability to separate which one I, I like more, and so that's an easy choice for me just to try to grab a little bit of each of them i assume uh, daniel berger and keegan bradley will make it into that that mix again even after keegan's disappointing sunday for you last weekend yeah i mean i think i think they probably will um berger's the one that i had the most concerns about in general talked about it uh, both of the past couple weeks he did kind of come out and say that he'd been battling the the injury he you know was battling it during the pga championship ended up having a really great finish there uh, but then over the past couple events has been a little bit more kind of mediocre and last week most of his success was carried with the putters so um, that that was a guy that I'm definitely going to be manually adjusting down a little bit um, if I do grab any and MME it would be kind of a, a small percentage because if a guy kind of comes out and said he's battling something and then you see the the data right after sort of back up maybe what he's saying a little bit then I don't need to get too aggressive in a field that has like really plenty of options because as you get down you know, lower, you got obviously last year his champion Xander Shoffley is at a nice cheap price on a course that could reward distance. You have 
Stuart Sink, who people you know piled on, and now they're going to pile right off again. And then Emiliano Grio, just a bunch of names down here. So I don't see uh, a reason to get carried away with loading up on Yeah, the one. only name uh, in the 7Ks that cracked double-digit ownership projections on these very early ownership projections that we're, uh, that we're dealing with as we podcast here on Tuesday is uh, Ben On, who, you know, at 7K certainly looks like a really good price tag for Ben On. But I was surprised that he was the one name that was kind of jumping out of the group. He doesn't profile as substantially better than everybody kind of around him, in my opinion. So I, I would say that this would be more of a, a fade or an underweight position for me at this kind of ownership if he's going to kind of lap the field. Um, what's your take on Ben On and what's kind of driving the ownership there, in your opinion? Yeah, that is definitely interesting. I I didn't expect that to happen either. Um, I kind of learned to to dress the model a little bit, and oh, especially like the model by the time um, Thursday, or in this case, by the time Friday rolls around, because the tournament does start on a Friday this week, being played over Labor Day weekend. Uh, ben on, I think the the big things that drive ownership is uh, Vegas odds, whether or not people are touting him, and then especially with the success of Fantasy National. I think that strokes gained data is driving a lot of ownership, especially strokes gained tee to green data. And so I think um, I was surprised that people are, are touting him, but I do I do know a lot of people use Fantasy National, even people who do content. And so um, I think all of those things are kind of leading to it. It would, yeah, I mean, unless I make a mistake when I'm doing MME, it would be a pretty easy decision to leave them out of my player pool. That makes sense to me. Uh, below the 7K range is usually not a range that we have a lot of plays we're interested in. I think the combination of you know the, the field size, but also some of the strength of the plays down here, you've got guys like Pat Perez, Luke List, Russell Henley, Brian Harmon, who I don't think these guys are substantially different than the guys in the 7Ks when you're talking about like Charlie Hoffman and uh, Xander Shoffley and you know Grio and those guys. Um, price now below seven thousand. It makes some of the lineup builds work a little bit easier with there being less uh, obvious values in the seven K range and more of the obvious values in the eight and nine K range. I assume this is going to be a range that you're actually going to be hitting on this week, which is I know a range that you usually stay away from. Yeah, I think there's yeah I kind of look for that fifteen to twenty percent T twenty probability in MME. Um, I, I really have found just you need all six golfers in the top 20 uh, in order to win some of these GPPs and unless you know it's a weird week where you hit like a one percent owned winner or something like that so I definitely want the guys to have reasonable top 20 upside but with this week where a lot of people are making the cut um, I think you can prioritize some of the DK scoring too so uh, List was definitely one of the guys that stood out at first glance both in the probabilities and also just the ability to, to DK score when necessary. Um, and then Russell Henley was was another one of those guys. And so in, in the single lineup, I think if you are building um, through DJ, I think you could consider going down to this range. Uh, I think JB Holmes is another guy that if it does turn into like a, a bomber's course that kind of would fit the mold and also reflects decently in our course fit agnostic projections. Um, so I definitely think that the dynamics of this event and the low ownership on all these guys would make, um, you know, some of them good MME. Even got your boy, uh, Jason Duffner at 6,500 with probably the cheapest price tag you could ever get on Jason Duffner. Yeah, that's, that's a very cheap price tag. I'll I'll have to, uh, we were FaceTiming with his agent last week and I'll have to get the (laughs) scoop. 
Looking over uh, at FanDuel, spending a little time over there, uh, one of the things when I sort by value on the projections, one of the guys that immediately pops up near the top is, once again, FanDuel just seems to not like pricing Patrick Cantlay uh, anywhere near kind of the top of the other of the other players where, where so many guys that are priced around him on DraftKings are in the 11000 range. He at least has hit uh, you know five figures in terms of the salary, hit 10K on the dot. But looks like, again, another really strong FanDuel value as he's been seemingly all, all year long, uh, whereas price tag on DraftKings has been a little bit more reasonable. Yeah, I, I think he's one of the guys that um, does stand out, and I think you can play him on, on both the sites. And one of the other guys who kind of stood out a little bit um, as far as mispricing on FanDuel, at least relative to the Vegas odds, was Aaron Wise. Um, and he's been a all over the map, kind of like a, a, a very poor man's Bryson DeChambeau with his performances, but missing a bunch of cuts. But when he, when he like is there, he ends up kind of in contention and can score well from a fantasy perspective. So I don't have any interest in him on DraftKings at the price tag he's at, but I do think that he's um, pretty close to the minimum price on FanDuel. And uh, I, I know we're not super high on him as far as data golf's model but i think that's one where i could leverage the the vegas betting markets and stuff to make a little bit of an adjustment yeah that, that makes some sense to me the other guy that stood out to me is very underpriced on fandle was mark leishman who's just 9100 over there he's at 8k on DraftKings. we didn't talk about him at the bottom of the 8k range because i think there's you know some competition over there but 9100 looks like a really good price tag for leishman as well I think you could, you know, kind of build out some some more well-rounded teams potentially this week just by using kind of Cantlay uh, and Leishman there. I I do think it looks like a week that you know a lot of times the really low end of the of the pricing structure on FanDuel gives you the opportunity to build really through the studs. And I think this week, just like kind of eyeballing the pricing, it looks like a week where there might be a little bit more room for value because as you mentioned, like Wise below 8K, but there's really not much else below 8k that's super intriguing um there's you know some flyer guys like honor bon lahiri at, at the very low end uh, but obviously with the smaller field and the strength of the field in general um it doesn't look like the pricing was as field adjusted let's say um as you know DraftKings pricing might be so i think there might be a little bit more merit to you know a little bit more balanced builds on FanDuel uh this week whereas DraftKings, i still i think is kind of up in the air with either direction you can choose because the the pricing is a little bit spread out in terms of where the values are yeah it's interesting i'm um i think the one thing you can do on FanDuel is you can kind of always jam in a couple top golfers and uh it would be an interesting week to play over on FanDuel. Um, I think they do have a couple decent sized GPPs. There might have been a 50k to first. Didn't look at the prize structure of that one, but um, with like FanDuel, a lot of times the optimal roster construction, like you mentioned, is stars and scrubs from a maximizing fantasy points. But then you end up um, with a bunch of guys that are likely to miss the cut, and you kind of remove some of that risk a little bit this week. So it might be an interesting week to to play some of the stars and scrubs lineup over there, just because. It's not too bad. Like you can get DJ and JT into a lineup without feeling like it's. It's. I mean, you can get DJ Cantlay and JT into a lineup without hating the rest of it. So, um, yeah, I, I think those are some of the guys. I think uh, Terrell Haddon is another yeah. guy that kind of stood out. 
Um, and I think those are great guys to build on through FanDuel. And I actually think it's a, a pretty good week for me to take a little bit closer look at some of their tournaments. Yeah, I would say uh, one one guy I did know is below AK outside of Aaron Wise. JB Holmes is only 7,500 there. Uh, so if the course does reward distance, uh, that that could be an opportunity to take advantage of JB Holmes in, in some GPPs. Um, with that said, I think that's a good place for us to kind of wrap this up. It's been a great uh, golf season bringing the podcast to you guys uh with going for the green with daily roto here with myself mike leone colin drew we want to thank you all for listening to us throughout the course of the season as colin mentioned we will continue on with projections and the pro tip and all the content that we're providing at daily roto uh, via the guys at data golf throughout uh, the course of the the final uh, uh of the fedex cup tour playoffs and then also in the swing season but we'll be back from a podcast perspective uh with the going for the green podcast back in January when, uh, you know, the, the season starts off in Hawaii again. Um, so, Colin, I don't know if you want to want to leave the, the people with any closing words since you've been kind of the stalwart of this podcast and, uh, as Mike and I have rotated in throughout the course of the year. No, it's great. I mean, we'll still be around during the swing season. Hop into Slack. If you have any questions for us, we'll talk a little bit of golf on DFS Dish um, some weeks here and there. And, yeah, definitely join us for the NFL season as well. Really looking forward to it. Make sure you save 10% with the promo FNTSY um, at checkout. And uh, yeah, thanks thanks for all the all the listens and reviews and golf sweats throughout the year. Awesome. So that'll do it for myself, Drew Dinkmar, and, and Colin Drew for going for the green with Daily Roto. want to wish you guys the best of luck in all your games this week and throughout the rest of the swing season and the rest of the FedEx Cup playoffs. Take care.